My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Craig Langston and Tim Lewis. If a government in North America were to suddenly start doing things that forced some random cross-section of the general population to be confined to their homes part of the time, there would likely be a vigorous popular response. Or at least, I hope there would be. Yet in many places on this continent, a governmental refusal to provide appropriate infrastructure and services is currently doing exactly that. And in this age of elite valorization of austerity and consequent budget cuts, in at least some places such infrastructure is becoming less and less adequate, and more and more people are being confined to their homes more and more of the time. I'm talking, of course, about people with disabilities, particularly those who require a specialized transit service to be able to get around their communities. Uh, and by the way, I, I want to parenthetically note that I do recognize that different political strands within disability justice organizing use different naming conventions. I'm following the lead of the group at the center of today's episode and using the language of people with disabilities. In the Metro Vancouver area, the relevant transit system is called HandyDart. In recent years, HandyDart service was, according to a 2013 report, cut by 15,000 hours and then frozen. Yet demand has not decreased and in fact continues to increase as the population of the Metro Vancouver area both grows and ages. According to the HandyDart Riders Alliance, the number of trip denials, that is, people who attempt to book a trip on the system but are told there is no capacity for them to do so in a given instance, has increased by more than 600% in a relatively few years. It was this phenomenon that led to the founding of the Riders Alliance two years ago. Craig Langston and Tim Lewis are both longtime disability activists in British Columbia and are on the board of the Handy Dart Riders Alliance. To combat what Lewis has described as, quote, the virtual house arrest the service freeze has created, end quote, the Alliance has been organizing users, lobbying politicians and staff, and holding regular public forums in different communities that Handy Dart serves. And they are set to support an upcoming transit funding referendum that, if it passes, would not completely solve the problem, but would certainly be a move in the right direction. They speak with me about the origins of the group, their activities so far to organize HandyDart riders and allies, and their vision for a livable Vancouver. We spoke by Skype to phone from Vancouver. I'm Craig Langston. I'm a former president of the Cerebral Policy Association of, of BC. I sit on the Disability Advisory Committee for Vancouver and also for Burnaby, and I'm also part of the Handy Dart Writers Alliance. And I'm Tim Lewis. I'm one of the founders of the Handy Dart Writers Association. I've been very active in the disability community for many decades. I'm one of the founders of the Handy Dart System back in the early 1980s and a co-founder of what was then called the BC Coalition of People with Disabilities. 
uh, my daytime job, I'm a lawyer. So I, I want to hear lots about the Writers Alliance and its founding and its activities and so on. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit more about context. Tell me a little bit more about what Handy Dart is. Well, Handy Dart is a door-to-door transit system funded by governments for folks that are unable to use the conventional transit system. Rides are booked in advance, up to but no more than seven days in advance, and pickups are booked on half-hour windows. So your pickup is not booked for a particular time, but for a pickup time within a half-hour window. And give me a sense of the scope of the operation. How many people does uh, Handy Dart serve? Thousands and thousands and growing with our aging population. I don't know the exact number, but I would guess that the number of registered Handy Dart users in the Greater Vancouver area would be in the tens of thousands. The estimate... Uh, but it is only an estimate, is that 5% of the public have difficulty using public transit as a result of either a physical or intellectual disability. So tell me about the founding of the Riders Alliance, about the kinds of conversations that were happening and, and why people initially came together to form the organization. Well, I'd be very interested to hear Craig's perspective, from my perspective, uh, the number one driving factor was what we call trip turndowns. If you call in, as I mentioned a moment ago, up to but no more than seven days in advance of your desired ride, if you're not able to get the ride, because that time slot is already booked up, that's a trip turndown. Trip turndowns have skyrocketed from about 6,000 a year to now 42,000 a year. And that means that almost 1,000 individuals a week, a few hundred a day, are unable to get out and about. They are literally sentenced to house arrest. And that's because the number of Vehicle hours, the number of hours that all the vehicles are on the road, has been frozen by the government for many, many years. So that was the stimulus that brought us together as a cross-disability, region-wide movement to put pressure on government to get handicapped back on track. And what was your perspective on the the reason for founding the organization, Craig? I think very similarly, you thought that funding for the Handgrip Service was in place for many, many years, and there was a lot of lobbying to to get that changed, and kept running up against a wall with Translink and with uh, MBT. Uh, And just for the benefit of listeners not on the West Coast, TransLink is the regional transportation authority serving the metro Vancouver area. It looks after not only transit, but also cycling, roads, bridges, and that sort of thing. 
And I'm not entirely certain, but I believe MVT is a, a private company that provides paratransit services. And we felt that what was missing was the voice of the riders and, and how reliant so many of those riders uh, uh, rely on that service. And uh, so it gave them a chance to voice their concerns and to, to really speak loud and clearly to TransLink MVT and also to the, uh, the provincial government um, to providing more, more funding to the service so the service can actually meet the demand. That's what's really missing right now is the capacity is not there to, to meet the demand. And that needs to happen. And one of the, one of the measures that, uh, TransLink is going with is utilizing the, uh, taxi industry. And I, I'm very concerned by that. Back in uh, 2012, there was a report on accessibility put out by the Passenger Transportation Board of BC. And they were very uh, critical in regards to the lack of training within the uh, taxi industry to transport people with disabilities. And that was really one of their, one of their biggest recommendations is, is that the various taxi companies improve their, their training when it comes to helping those with disabilities and, and, and seniors. And I'm also very, very concerned with the utilization of the taxi industry is typically or historically the taxi industry is a curb to curb service. Andy Dart is a door to door service. And with an ancient population and, and, and many more riders and new riders who are dealing with that dementia and, and Alzheimer's, they need that door to door service. They need to be handed off to someone else so that they, uh, don't wander off into the community and are lost for hours upon end. There's been a story of a, of a, a gentleman who, who wandered off and he has not been found yet. I don't want to see that happen to more people because they're being dropped off at the curb and lose their way to where they need to be. And so that's really why I'm involved. And just a, a quick interruption to provide a little bit more context. Based on a 2013 report prepared by Eric Doherty of Ecopath Planning, who is now active in the Handy Dart Riders Alliance himself. It points out that by 2012, the number of trip denials had skyrocketed to a level seven times higher than in 2008. In the five years prior to the report being released, the population of people over 70 years of age in the Metro Vancouver area had increased by more than 40,000, which is two and a half times the rate of increase of the general population, and it is expected to increase by another 100,000 in the next decade. Of course, not every older adult needs a service like Handy Dart, and many of the people who require Handy Dart are much younger, but it does point towards the likelihood of steady, ongoing increases in demand, particularly when coupled to a conclusion in a federal government report that in the next two decades, the number of people with disabilities in Canada will increase almost twice as fast as the general population. And in terms of the Handy Dart strategy of utilizing private taxi companies to provide some of the trips that are within its mandate, Doherty's report echoes Langston's concerns. The report points to serious flaws in the analysis from Handy Dart that this method would be cheaper, particularly due to the cherry-picking of data and inappropriate use of comparisons, and the report also cites evidence from other jurisdictions that indicate that paratransit service contracted from the taxi industry tends to be lower in quality due to some very basic aspects of how the taxi industry works. 
And how long ago was the Writers' Alliance founded? About two years ago. And in the process of founding it, was it like, are there organizations that are members of the Alliance and it was people who were already involved in organizations that came together? Or was there an initial meeting that brought individual users of the service together to found the Alliance? No organizations belong to the Alliance, but I certainly do see that happening down the road. It's an individual-based organization, and it resulted from a very large meeting at which we had hundreds of users attend in one of our neighborhoods, Collingwood. And one of the motions put forward at that meeting was that an organization be founded. That meeting selected a handful of people to make it happen. And tell me about the structure of the organization. Well, we're fairly new, so we don't have a lot of, and I think that's a good thing, we don't have a lot of bureaucracy. We have a steering committee, and that steering committee calls mass meetings, by mass meetings, I mean membership meetings, and calls them in locations throughout Greater Vancouver. We're just about a month ago registered formally as a registered society under the Societies Act. And now that we've done that, we'll start holding formal membership meetings to elect the board of directors. And tell me a little bit more about the folks who are involved in the alliance. Well, you've heard a little bit today about Craig's and myself. Uh, Beth is one of our co-chairs, together with myself. She's a tireless advocate on behalf of people that need hand dirt. And she's a very important addition because she does not live in Vancouver. She lives in one of the outlying municipalities. As bad as the problem is in Vancouver, it's even worse outside of Vancouver. So she brings that perspective. We have uh, Pastor Norman, who is also from an outlying municipality, and sits also as an HRA rep on another organization, the Metro Vancouver Alliance, which is working on transit as a top priority. That Metro Vancouver Alliance made up of churches, labor, and community groups. Let me turn it over to Craig, who can help me out here and round out the remaining members of our steering committee. We have Elizabeth and Graham. He was a former driver of Tiny Dart, and, and Eric Dorothy. And... After that initial large meeting where there was the decision to push ahead with founding the Alliance, what were the initial steps that folks took to turn that idea and that proposal into an organization? Well, the first thing we did was aim for media coverage to make it a higher profile issue in the media. The Amalgamated Transit Union has given us some seed money to hire Eric Doherty, and so we've sent out 
press releases and held press conferences on a regular basis. And that's really helped to get the organization up and running and helped us make the disability community aware of us. The other thing that we had done fairly early on was to post information forms in different communities around the Lower Mainland and give an opportunity for uh, handicap riders to voice their concerns and to voice their their gratitude to the drivers because so many of them are being picked up by the same driver quite frequently. And so they, they look forward to that contact. I think one of the successes I was putting these forms on is providing those opportunities. And I think that's why we then formed ourselves into a more um, non-profit organization so that we can continue putting these community forms on and provide those opportunities for for riders to, to uh, voice their concerns and their story. And it allows us, as leaders with this, that we have a uh, close contact with the riders. And I think we can accomplish that uh, by continuing to put on the forums. And walk me through what a typical one of those community forums looks like. What happens? How many people typically turn up? That kind of thing. Typically, we will usually have a panel of speakers, usually between four to six speakers. We usually like to have someone from the uh, municipality government, and they're quite often there. Quite regularly, it's Judy Darcy and uh, George Heyman from the BCNDP were also in attendance at many of the forums, and we gave them opportunities to speak on the issues as well. And so myself, Elizabeth, and, and Beth, we have all facilitated those forums at, at different times. So like I say, we, we usually have a panel of speakers, you know, about five to eight minutes for each speaker to speak. And then once we go through the panel of speakers, then we go and have a more open mic questions and answers and, and comments from those who come out on, on that particular day. And give me a sense of the kinds of concerns that people raise. Is it mostly focused around service levels, like the two of you have already talked about, or are there other things that people bring up as well? Almost entirely what we mentioned earlier, the trip turndowns. There are some other issues. The ability to travel from one municipality to another, hours of operation, but the main issue, the number one driving issue, is trip turndowns. And how often do you hold these community forums? Every couple of months and always in a, in a different municipality so that we're getting out to the disability community in all corners of the region. And in terms of the Riders Alliance's regular activities, do you also do lobbying with the Transit Authority and the municipal government? We've met with a number of politicians in the region, and we have made the presentations as well. And tell me a bit about the kinds of conversations you've had with the politicians. Are they generally sympathetic to your concerns? They are. We have a problem in the GBRD in that... TransLink is actually 
a board of directors appointed by the province. And so the municipal politicians, what they should have. But the discussions we've had have been very positive. We have a referendum right now in the Greater Vancouver area. And if that referendum carries, transit funding will be increased. The handy dirt in particular will go up by 3% a year over a 10-year period. And have you had direct meetings with the TransLink board or, or staff that, that work for them? Yes, staff. They understand the need to increase service levels. And their hands are to some degree tied because their funding has not been adequate. So if they increase our funding, it comes at the expense of another arm of TransLink. Tell me more about the referendum you mentioned. Well, we have a referendum, mail-in referendum in March. It is to approve a 0.5% increase in the sales tax. And if that goes through, a transient revenue will increase substantially. And has the Riders Alliance taken a formal position on that? That we have. We're in support. Have you been actively campaigning to support that position? Uh, not yet, because the mail-in ballots will be another month or so before they're mailed out to the public. But we have had some preliminary meetings with the Metro Vancouver Alliance to work with them on a plan for campaigning for the yes side. I was really pleased with the fact that we actually have, as part of the referendum question, the uh, 30% increase over 10 years. And Langston here is referring to a provision in the referendum question that would mean not only would TransLink's funding increase in general, but the portion of that specifically directed towards HandyDart would increase by 3% a year every year over the course of 10 years. That gives us some assurances that there will always be an annual increase over the next few years. I think more is going to be needed to really meet the demand, but at least we've got this commitment to work upon. How much more do you think would be necessary to keep pace with the demands of an aging population and so on? Well, that's a very good question. We feel that the best solution is not a carved-in-stone increase each year predicted in advance. Instead, the funding, and with it the service levels, should be calibrated to demand so that if demand goes up less than 3% a year, fair enough, the service levels might go up less than that. But if demand goes up more than 3%, then service levels go up more than 3%. I should note one very important point. The amount needed just to catch up is probably 10%, just to ensure that we no longer have this 1,000 trip turndowns a week. Once we get that catch-up, about 10%, it's then a question of how fast does demand grow. 
with an aging population, it may grow faster than 3% a year. One of the approaches that the service equivalent to HandyDart in the city that I live in has taken to dealing with budget constraints is that they've tightened eligibility, which has made many people very upset. Has HandyDart made any similar kind of move in Vancouver? Not that I'm aware of. I think they know they'd have a big battle on their hands, a big battle if they did. And how much success have you had or what challenges have you had in building relationships and alliances with groups that aren't focused on the experiences and struggles of people with disabilities? Is there an interest in supporting the issues that you're working on or, or have there been challenges as well? The main group in Vancouver that works on numerous issues and is a very broad-based group, Metro Vancouver Alliance, has been very welcoming to us and has worked very hard to make us a part of their coalition. You've talked a little bit about the referendum that's coming up in March, but give me a sense of a, a bit more of a, a longer-term vision for the work that you want the Riders Alliance to do and the things that you want to accomplish in terms of changes and improvements to HandyDart itself in the next year or two years, for example. Yeah, well, I'd be very interested to hear Greg's thought on My view is that our, our number one objective is to have TransLink and the general public recognize HandyDart as being just as important a portion of the transit system as any other portion and to fund it accordingly so that we don't end up with a massively more difficult getting a ride than other folks do. And I see ourselves also being a voice to the provincial government to in increase accessible public transportation, not just in the lower mainland, but throughout this province. Because if, if you think people in, in, the, in the greater Vancouver area are frustrated with handy dart service, it's even more so in the, the towns and cities throughout this province where there's no evening service or there's no weekend service. How do we expect people with disabilities and seniors to be connected to and be involved in engaging in the communities that they can't get about. So I see us being that voice and conveying to the government that uh, this is a priority and needs to be on an ongoing basis. You have been listening to my interview with Craig Langston and Tim Lewis of the Handy Dart Riders Alliance, a group for the users of the Metro Vancouver area's paratransit service and their allies. To learn more about their work, go to handydartriders.ca. That's handydartriders.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked Radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thanks.